literary magazines are dying. Yeah? A slow, painful death. Oh, no. Oh, shucks. Oh, oh. So that kind of makes me think, what's the point of submitting to these so much? And so you, you mean the places that are never going to accept our work because they're too hoity-toity and have their nose up their own ass? They're, they're slowly dying? Oh, no. Yeah, that would be them. It's uh, stupid. It's stupid that they make you feel so insignificant and like your writing's no good and you're not worthy of their publication. When guess mm. what? I was reading today that most of them don't have any readers yeah. outside of their friends and family in the small niche community that they have built. I mean, that's probably why they're slowly dying is because... Nobody reads them. Yeah, nobody reads them, and then you're going to have people who don't want to... <laughs> that, uh, you know, if you're going to be such shitty to the people that are submitting, they're not going to want to check out the work. Because you cannot, like, not get... Su- accepted but be dealt in a be- in a better way that that they still might want to be like oh well, i'll still want to check out their magazines or whatever they're putting out you know but if they're just going to be jerks about it you're gonna be like well then fuck them all together well you have to pay to get these generic form rejection letters like these copy and paste already set up probably in an email rejection letters and it's like well why am i bothering then i'm sorry but i feel if you're paying money which is probably the only thing keeping them afloat. Right, yeah. Because nobody's buying the fucking journals. If you're paying money, they should at least tell you why they're rejecting you or something. I get they have high volume and stuff, but when we had DPW up, even when we, if I had 100 rejections in a week or something, I would make sure I would tell people at least like a personal response. I was just mm. like, oh, it's not fitting. I did that a couple of times for people that were just fucking so terrible. Yeah. Like mainly when their email was then following the guidelines and stuff. I was just like, yeah, we don't want you. I didn't even read their shit. But if you actually, you know, have a proper email, you do the you follow the guidelines, especially if you pay for the submission. If we had paid submissions, I don't care if you didn't oh, follow yeah. the guidelines, I'd still respond. Right. But yeah, most of these magazines, they don't do that. But you know who does seem to respond? I've only had a couple horror magazines, like higher end horror magazines I submitted to, and they were very personal responses. Mm-hmm. So why are, and their pay markets? So why is this pay market that the submission was free? I didn't pay to submit these. They pay you if they accept your work, and they probably get a shit ton of submissions all the time. They're able to respond personally, but these fucking hoity-toity lip magazines right. can't. Just the kind of people, I you know, I snobs. Yeah, I don't want to cast too much judgment on or, or widen that on them all, but. You know, you'd have better idea and more experience dealing with those kind of people. I've never even attempted to yeah. try to submit anything to them just because, like, I know at least now, like, the stuff that I kind of like to write isn't going to be the stuff that they would probably really be interested in anyways. Well, and, and I, w- I would just like to say, I'm not talking about, like, the New Yorker, the Paris Review, the Dublin Review. Like, I'm not talking about these actual still big magazines, which they probably don't even get a lot of readers. I'm talking about these smaller ones that, you know, act like they're something and they just constantly generic rejection after generic rejection. It's like, why am I even bothering? Like Most of the time, I don't like any of the stuff they publish anyway. Mm-hmm. So why do I even want to be in this? Well, yeah, if nobody's reading it. Then what? That's where I'm at now. I'm like, if nobody's going to really read it outside of this small, tiny community, why there? Who's probably not going to buy my work anyway? Why yeah. should I really worry about getting published yeah. in this? Right. And then just again, like we were saying back, if you're like, you're spending cash on, on the process and not getting anything in return for it, you know? Yeah. 
Well, I was just thinking like that horoscope and the horror anthology we got accepted into. I was just looking at like their follower count and just some of the stuff and for what the book sells for. They have, it seems, way more interaction just from looking at that than some of these bigger literary journals I've seen. So it's like if I if my goal is just to get my work read, may I'm I'm really contemplating just steering towards uh, anthologies mm-hmm. and contests for my main right. submissions and genre stuff. Because that's what people are reading. Mm-hmm. Nobody reads the fucking farty tardy literary stuff. So what's the point? Yeah. And I don't really care for writing it too much. Like if it fits my story, but usually my style doesn't even fit that anyway. Because at most my style would border on maybe like magical realism or something. Yeah. But they don't want that either. No, they just want like some guy eating, eating chicken in a like, fucking. I was, I was gonna say soup, but yeah. Yeah. Like an old man fucking eating soup alone in a diner, and like someone who looked like his daughter walks in. But then it's not his daughter because his daughter's been dead. Or so he thinks. It turns out he has Alzheimer's. Like, something stupid like that. Nobody gives a fuck. Honestly, how many times have we read things from uh, places that uh, that you submitted to? And we were just like, what the fuck was that? Mm-hmm. Like, what did we just read? It was angry. <laughs> there was no story. Like, the words barely made sense together in a sentence. And you know what's funny? Because this is going to tie into our episode later. Most of the stuff I've been reading lately, like I'm reading William Faulkner now, I don't think he'd get published today. At least not the story. Like I'm reading The Sound and the Fury. The style, I feel like these literary magazines are like, yeah, we wouldn't take It's because it's so, like they take this creative writing class style of writing now where everything, we talked about this before, very very uniform writing Mm -hmm. style. And that's what they publish. Like I have not read in all these journals I bought over the last year. Uh, and I'm talking about the New England Review, American Short Story, the Paris Review, uh, Driftwood Magazine, the Continental. Fuck, there's a whole bunch I have upstairs. I don't even remember all of them. And I at least made a point to read some of the stories and a lot of the poetry in them. And most of the stuff is the same shit. Yeah, I was, was going to say... I'm it, not just talking about the stories, but the actual writing style reads the same. I was going to say they're, they're all so alike that it's just... They could all be written by the same person with different pseudonyms, you know? Yeah, you can't even tell the authors apart. And what's even worse is a lot of the times when you read that stuff, you have to sit there and just think, like, why is this good? Why was this published? And then you go, oh, wait, does this person just know somebody mm-hmm. for the ma- at the magazine? And then you look at the biographies, and most of the people have all the same writing credits. They've all been published in almost all the same places. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh. So that's like which they I guess that's what you do. Well, you just get it in, and then you can get published in these places. Well, th- I'm sure that if you probably look even deeper, there'd be like when you look at the credits, it's like I wouldn't be surprised if some of those magazines and stuff are run by you know different writers, and it's like oh well, uh, so it it'd be kind of kind of my almost like if we knew people whenever we had the website up and we're all right, well we're gonna. You submit to us, we'll publish some of your stories. We'll submit to you guys. Yeah. You publish some of our stories, so we're all getting credits around, but it doesn't look that, you know, nobody yeah. knows that we're all cool with each other, you know? What's the point? It's just a circle jerk. I don't know. I'm just not a fan of it, but like I said, I've been submitting to more contests and stuff. That's going to be my focus, because I feel like they at least have to read your stuff at those. Right. One thing that I think I'm going to focus on, too, is submitting to places that it's an actual person, mm-hmm. like an editor, not someone that's just going to give you like a form rejection. So I am focusing on like I, I submitted to uh, McSweeney's quarterly. That's a big one. And I don't expect to hear back from a lot of the big ones. Like, you know, I, if you get a generic re- response from those, you kind of understand. 
but they were having uh they're having a special issue and it's actually a specific editor that's going to be doing it so i wrote the email and the submission to the mm-hmm. editor so i was like okay that's an actual person maybe i'll get a response from that even right. if they reject it it should be uh which seems to be the thing with the horror magazines i submitted to it was an actual person that's covering them mm-hmm. like the editor that's covering them is who you're submitting to so they actually you know respond not just a shitty generic because that's like it's like a cowardly thing it's just like oh we're just gonna hide behind the Belvedere acres team yeah, right, you know yeah. just whatever the writing bullshit community team like the editorial it's all, staff it's just all one person yeah it's just one fucking guy because most of these magazines don't have a bunch of people working for them. It's pro- and if anything, it's probably just some intern that's unpaid mm-hmm. for a school. So I'm thinking about just not submitting to school magazines anymore because most of these literary journals are run by universities. So it's just like 20-year-olds. And Two. they probably don't even read the kind of stuff that I yeah, would... Yeah, I, I was just going to say, and, and like those kind of... Uh those kind of young people probably aren't going to be interested in the kind of stuff that that we are into writing. Yeah, exactly. But I, I don't know why these literary magazines just don't take chances and publish any kind of work that's outside of the box. And I'm, I'm well, sure some do, but I never see it. Well, then, because with if it's outside the box, then it's not necessarily, like, literature. Like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like... These horror magazines, you know, they're like, well, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna go outside the box, and we're gonna put, we're gonna print some uh, romantic comedy stories yeah. <laughs> that have no murder or death in them. Yeah, but if you had like a Haruki Murakami submit, you know, unknown true Haruki Murakami submitting to these magazines, would they not publish it because it's not literary enough? Probably. Fucking dumb. Ah, stupid. But anyway, we have a great show, Spencer. Well, I don't, don't, don't do that. Great. It's going to be the best show we had since last week's show. Oh, well, I mean. That show was excellent. Because <laughs> we're going to cover more books today. Yay. Yay. You are listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, Spencer, the Tulsa Tongue Twister Church. Ah. I went gentle on you. Yes, gentle. Tongue twister, you know, like those old rhymes. Yes, yes, that's Peter well. picked a pack of pickled pricks. That, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Made a minute. That doesn't sound right. Oh, Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peckers. Yes. Fuck, no, that ain't it either. You sure it's not pricks? I'm peckers. Pretty, I think it's peckers. Peckers. Definitely peckers. Peckers. Kind of peckers. There's some diehard fucking rhymer guy out there just like, it's peppers, you fucking <laughs> pieces of shit. Fucking peppers. I mean, the, the uh, first comment that we ever get on it's <laughs> like, it's fucking peppers, you fucking asshole. It's your, your fucking smut. <laughs> you smut. Nobody likes you. You know what we're covering today? <laughs> I like those abrupt changes because people think I just cut it in. I don't cut it in. Just I like to be abrupt. 10 stream of consciousness novels you must read a list it says it right there it's a list now should we for the uh for the folks at home that might not be familiar with like the stream of conscious concept that was difficult stream of consciousness concept yeah should we like uh do just like a quick like what that like what that entails with the you know in the story like when it comes to telling a story no okay no we could do that you may have heard about stream of consciousness, Spencer. <laughs> Many times in literary discussions, in fact. 
But what is stream of consciousness? Mm-hmm. You asked. Yeah, I did ask. So I guess I got to supply an answer. Are you just asking because you don't know? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I got like, the idea, but. So, since you definitely know what stream Ob- of consciousness obviously is. Obviously know what it is, but just for the folks at home that may not know. <laughs> uh, what is its role in writing? That's what we should be covering, you know? Because that's what we, the folks want to know. Yes, yeah. Well, not me, because I actually know. Yes, because you, you obviously know. Oh man, there's techniques too we gotta cover. I'm, that's Ugh. too much, too much. So anyway, I'll just introduce what stream of consciousness is. In short, a stream of consciousness is a literary technique in which the author tries to write in a way that mimics the flow of a character's thoughts. Mm. That's it. Usually it's just a character's thoughts and it's just free-flowing. Mm. I want to go in the bathroom, <laughs> stick my head in the toilet, and just flush <laughs> until I die. See, now my fucking levels are down. We, <sighs> mixer's garbage. Should have bought a new mixer instead of a new mic. Go back up. We're going back up. Go do it. All right. Fuck it. So that's basically what it is. You don't have to go on beyond that. Why do you need to go beyond no. that? Just think of free-flowing thought. I feel like uh, just from you talking about it, that's a lot of what uh, Jerusalem was at times. Yeah, there was a whole chapter that was just stream of consciousness, I believe. Some novels do it well. Some novels do it poorly. Some novels make it engaging. Some novels make it go... Wait, what the fuck's happening? Quack, quack, quack. Quack, quack, quack. Well, let's just jump into this list because now everybody's informed of what stream of consciousness mm-hmm. is. It wasn't very... uh No. It's just basically, just imagine you're sitting there and you're just daydreaming and every thought that comes in your head, if you just wrote that down without punctuation, that's what a lot of uh, stream of consciousness style writing is. Some authors use actual form. Uh, I'm reading, like I said, The Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner. A vast variety of techniques used here. Some of it makes sense like a story. Some of it is like uh, the, the narrative and then just in the middle of a sentence you'll get the character's thoughts just bum rush you and then it goes right back to the story. Other parts, it's just straight page after page of thoughts. So it's it's inventive, definitely for the time. Just from which, what you've told me from of that book, that all seems to make sense with like the the subject matter and everything that's going on in it. Yeah, it's I don't think it's too complicated, but I could definitely see why people would have problems. So number one on this list, Ulysses by James Joyce. We've talked about this too much. Otherwise a classic. This novel is a classic. Exi- These words classic a lot. Classics. This is from our fellow friends at Bookworms Review, by the way. Oh, we've done stuff. We've done other those, haven't we, before? Not once. No, not once. Not once. Maybe once. Maybe. They're just, I thought the, the you know, bookworm sounds familiar. Maybe it does. But maybe we just read something from a bookworm.org or something. Maybe. I don't know. So otherwise a classic. This novel is a classic example of the stream of consciousness style. Though you may find it annoying at times because it tosses grammar out of the park and does not tell readers when something ends, you will love following the protagonist over the course of a single day. Leopold Bloom. Sounds intriguing. It is, according to this list. I haven't read that yet. That's my final big read of this year. If I ever get to it, it might be next year, but it's going to be a challenge. But I have plenty of uh, extra books to help me with that. Number two, Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. Wolf was a sure master of this art of stream of consciousness writing. Why? Why was that so extreme with the uh, exclamation? Mrs. Dalloway is another well-known stream of consciousness novel that follows the inner thoughts and emotions of its main character, Clarissa Dalloway, as she prepares for a party. You may experience bursts of amusing thoughts, macabre, simple joys of life, sorrows and griefs, and much more with the character. That's one of those books I always heard of. It was like, I don't ever want to read that. Yeah. And it just sounds boring to me, and that's what I find with a lot of the stream of consciousness stuff is the reason why authors don't always write every thought of the character is because most people's every 
day thoughts are boring as fuck. Yeah, or stupid. Or, or stupid or, or make no sense. Yeah. I'm going to read some excerpts from The Sound and the Fury when we get to it, just to give a taste. And I think some people would be like, wow, I would never want to read that. And I would understand. Oh, hey, guess what's next? Mm. Number three, The Sound and the Fury. I can't say Fs today. The Sound and the Fury, yes. The Sound and the Fury is <laughs> Yeah, The Sound and the Fury is Tokyo Drift 2. Electric Boogaloo. We're family. <laughs> the Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner. Other than being... If I was him, I would just change it to Faulkner. Right? That's, that's what I've been thinking. Well, he changed it to... I'm pretty sure he changed it to Faulkner from Faulkner. I think it was F-A-L-K. Oh. I'm, I could be making that up, but I, I remember... I think I remember seeing that it was spelled slightly different. I would have just been Faulkner. Bill right? Faulkner. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine him writing erotic novels on the side under Bill Faulkner? <laughs> That'd be great. What a great name. Other than being a stream of consciousness literature, I feel like I say that word wrong. Other than being a stream of conscious literature, this is a perplexing novel that explores the lives and thoughts of several different characters. You will meet four characters. Benji is an intellectually disabled man. Quentin is a university student, has unique experiences to share. Jason, a businessman, has his story to tell. Mr. Compson, the family patriarch, somewhat the leading protagonist, tells the story from his perspective when he gets the chance. It's interesting because I'm halfway through this book and the leading protagonist, according to this article, hasn't has even shown up. Hardly come up. He might have a whole chapter, though. I don't know. So let me uh, read some of that before we go into yes, the other. Yes, yes, do that. Do that. I'm going to do, do that. Do, do I have to read it like this? I have to be careful because there's a lot of N-words in this book, so <laughs> and I did not like look through what I'm reading. So I might have it abruptly stop. So, like I said, the first chapter, which is 70-something pages, well, that article should have stayed, but it, it didn't really sell the book too well. So Benji is a severely di- uh, intellectually disabled person. Can't speak, just kind of screams and cries and wails, bellows, slobbers Bell- a lot. Bellows, I like that. Bellows comes up a lot in this, and bellering. They call it bellering. I like that, because they're so- southern. Yeah. He's, Quit your bellering. It's weird because, and I think I mentioned maybe on last episode, or maybe I didn't, this book was originally, William Faulkner wanted to write it with color text so you would know every time period because mm. it'd be a different color. I believe the Folio Society actually made a version like that. So I, I can show you, since we don't have cameras, yeah. we can't show the listeners. Where there's italics, that's when you know there's a hard shift in the narrative because it's just like these memories of this mm. mentally disabled person. It would shift completely to a different time period. But a lot of times, if it was, was colored text, almost every paragraph and sometimes even the sentences would be different colors because the character's jumping around mm. so much in his thoughts. But with the way it's written, I, I find once you know what you're looking for you can understand it right because there's three characters who take care of benji in his life so one when he was a kid when he's a teenager when he's at, when he's an adult so you know if that character is there taking care of him in the scene then you know a time period yeah. you're in. and then also the way he uh is treated by some of the family members and stuff gives you clues as well but it's one of those things you don't really have to understand everything you're reading if you're gonna try to like Ulysses, if you try to go into this, I'm, I need to understand everything. You're not going to be happy. So I'm just going to pick a random part here. Enwood, 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 Enwood. <laughs> God damn it, Faulkner. All right, so here I'm going to start with one of the big shifts. I saw them. Then I saw Caddy with fly. I, I'm assuming her name's Caddy. It's C-A-D-D-Y. I don't think that would be Katie. I've been th- saying Caddy in my head. Yeah. If, I'm, if I sound like an idiot to one of you Faulkner scholars, I'm sorry. I'm saying Caddy because that's how it's spelled. I saw them, then I saw Caddy, and that's the mentally disabled uh, Benji. That's his sister, who's like the only nice one in the whole book, and she takes care of him. 
So I saw them. Then I saw Caddy with flowers in her hair and a long veil like shining wind. Caddy, Caddy. Hush, TP said. They going to hear you. Get down quick. He pulled me. Caddy. I clawed my hands against the wall, Caddy. TP pulled me. Hush, he said. Hush, come on here quick. He pulled me on. Caddy, hush up, Benji. You want them to hear you? Come on. Let's drink some more sarsaparilla. Then we could come back if you hush. We better get one more bottle or we both be hollering. We can say Dan drunk it. Mr. Quinton always saying he's so smart. We can say he's sarsaparilla dog too. The moonlight came down the cellar stairs. We drank some more sarsaparilla. You know what I wish, TP said? I wish a bear would walk in that cellar door. You know what I do? I walk right up to him and spit in he eye. Give me that bottle to stop my mouth before I holler. And then it goes on like that. But you can understand why it's hard for people yeah. to follow. But when you read it and you get to understand it, like every time, you know, he was just saying caddy, it's like, oh, that's just her saying, like instead of saying caddy said because his mind, the way mm-hmm. it is, it's just like that's when you know it's who's speaking. And just different, like, there's different techniques in there you break down so you start to follow it better and you realize, oh, so while he's seeing the world in a very uh, particular way, he smells things better than other people. So a sense come up a lot. And when you know there's sense, uh, some, there's like a could be a big shift. For one thing, like Caddy, he always associates with smelling like trees because there's a specific memory where there's a tree involving her. When she loses her virginity at some point, which is a big theme in this book, she no longer smells like trees. Mm. And then that's when you know like there was a big shift in the story. Now, here's just where I'm at currently. This is page 142. So this is Quentin, and he has a, he's a Harvard-educated man. He's in Harvard school or whatever. He is a, a fucking weirdo. He's very smart, but he's obsessed with his sister's virginity. Mm. And like he ends up killing himself because she's no longer a virgin. He can't handle it. It's really weird. But his style, it, it shifts a lot. So you have like actual narrative, which is interesting. But then you have like shit like this. I didn't hear anything. Caddy, yes, I will. If you want me to, I will. I sat up. She was sitting on the ground, her hands clasped about her knee. Go on to the house like I told you. Yes, I'll do anything you want me to. Anything, yes. She didn't even look at me. I caught her shoulder and shook her hard. You shut up. I shook her. You shut up. You shut up. Yes. She lifted her face and I saw she wasn't even looking at me at all. I could see that white rim. Get up. I pulled her. She was limp. I lifted her to her feet. Go on now. And then it goes on and such and so forth. So that's like, again, that's one of those things you get to slow down. Or what I find helps is I imagine it because it's just his thoughts. So yeah. if you think of it in that way, it's like, oh, this guy, just imagine just how you would think just letting your your thoughts just flow completely. I was kind of thinking it was almost like he was having like, like he was upset at Caddy and like he might have had been he was having an argument with her but also like as he's like yelling at her he's also having Thinking, yeah these other that's thoughts. how it's written he has these thoughts while he's also talking to someone and then also i think this is a memory so he just has different memories breaking into other memories and then he's also having a memory of their fight and then like it's also stream of consciousness. So it's like if you imagine a memory and how you would replay something and wish you could change it. Yeah. And you play those weird scenarios in your head. And sometimes you constantly replay a certain part and change it. And so it's written that way. It's very interesting. So I don't know uh, much about Mr. Faulkner's work. Is that like something he does like in a lot of, like a lot of his stories that like the stream of consciousness stuff? Or is that just something he had? For, like, this novel and, like, with his other works are kind of more traditional. Uh, this is the only thing I've read by him so far. As I Lay Dying, I think, is also written in a stream of consciousness style. I want to say he writes a lot like this, but I can't say 
for sure if that's true or not. Uh, next up is To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. Many days and years just pass by in this novel and you never know if you are not alert. The novel is a cult among lovers of the stream of consciousness style and you must not ignore it. A painting begins the novel and it ends it too. Uh, this is one I've talked about on the podcast before I want to read. And we talked about doing it for Halloween, but then I don't think it's a Halloween <laughs> book. Uh, number five, How Late It Was, How Late by James Kelman. A 1989 publication, very late to the party. James Kelman's novel is regarded by many as a masterpiece of modern stream of consciousness technique. That is kind of late because I can't think of any modern books that do this anymore, really. That's what I've been trying Outside to say. Outside of that, Jerusalem that yeah, I Yeah, I was going to say these are all like older like older books, right? Yeah, most because it was the postmodern movement, which is like the 30s to, let's say, the 50s. Anyway, a long novel that follows the protagonist, Sammy Samuels, awful name, a <laughs> convict who spends his days making plans and thinking. The novel will interest readers who are fans of classic Russian thought worlds woven by Dostoevsky and others. Oh, you, you, I don't want to be a Russian thought novel. You say that's a terrible name, but like I used to work with a kid named Evans Evans. I remember Evan Evans. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what's the fuck's wrong with your parents? Like Jack Jackson. John Johnson. <laughs> like, just, come on. How, like, just think a little. Uh, number six, As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner. So I guess that is. A- I was going to say, yeah, I keep on like, uh, uh, him and uh, Virginia Woolf yeah. seem to uh, be like the front runners. Must have been their like big style, I guess. Because even Ulysses, like James Joyce didn't necessarily write in that style outside of that book. Like the other books I read from his, Doublingers and uh, Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man, they weren't written in like that. Uh, and then Finnegan's Wake, you know, that's nonsense. So yeah, who the fuck knows what that is? Yeah, that's that could be it. Or it could not. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. Okay, so as I lay dying, death. The concept is fascinating, worrying, enlightening, and much more. Faulkner uses the stream of consciousness technique to enter inside the heads of a few characters who have just received death in the family. And note one, two, or three, there are 15 different characters in the novel who are Jesus. portrayed powerfully by William Faulkner, who may actually feel the work. I have a copy of that too. I bought it with this, and I wanted to read it. I was going to read it first, but I've been—I just always wanted to read *Sound in the Fury*. That's mm-hmm. the one I always heard about. Apparently, *As I Lay Dying* is better, but that—that that made me kind of scared. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. And you know what? I just would like to say the *Sound in the Fury* is already an awesome name. And that right. comes from Shakespeare. Before I read *Macbeth*, I didn't know the quote from Shakespeare, but it's actually on the back here because this is uh, his uh, *Macbeth* tomorrow speech. So they just have the, the part of the sound and the fury part. Life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. That's such a good fitting thing when it opens up with the mentally disabled yeah. guy. Like it just fits. And then the whole all the characters in here just making so much noise, but it means nothing in the end. So I like that use of uh, people used to be smarter with their titles. Yeah. Not like the test like we had in the last episode. Uh, this one, I, I don't, I'm going to have to, I hope they explain it because I, I did not get this. Seven, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Really? We all know the novel. Why so many exclamation points? We all know the novel. How like, many How many are there? Well, just one, but I mean, in every, every paragraph. Oh, every, every, it's like the, uh, it's like the episode of Seinfeld where Lane puts the exclamation points at the end of every sentence. Yeah, it's just too much, too much. A classic American dream. That remains a dream for Mr. Gatsby. Two in a row. Jeez, that's so. I'm sorry. It's just I get thrown off when I read that because it makes me want to say it loud. Yeah. So that doesn't. A classic America dream that remains a dream for Mr. Gatsby. Yeah. Or or just normal dream for Mr. Gatsby. Gatsby. (laughs) 
where you put the emphasis? Mr. Gatsby. <laughs> Route up the dog. <laughs> Hurt my throat, too. So Jay Gatsby's mind is open to the readers as Fitzgerald lets his protagonist share whatever he thinks with the world. Many love it as a romantic novel. You may like it critically if you can connect with the character. I know there's uh, Nick Kerouac is the narrator, and maybe he has some thoughts that... I don't remember it being stream of consciousness. I'm going to say, I've never read it, but from what I've seen about it and heard people talk about it, that's nothing that I've ever heard brought up before. I mean, it's been a while since I read it. I Perhaps it shows up in there, and I just didn't... Because of the way it's written, it just... Because not everything's written like the William Faulkner. Like I said, there are stream of consciousness where it's still like the narrative. It's just the person's thoughts. Mm-hmm. I guess that counts. I always think of it more as like this hard to read, like, you know, stream. The yeah. stream part is what I focus on, not the thoughts part. Because this next one's confusing, too. The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Oh, yeah? Salinger's writing follows a boy becoming a man on the streets of New York. Gets beat up by a pimp, too. Popular as a coming-of-age novel, Holden Caulfield's whiny bitch-ass experiences, thoughts, and rebellious imagination is at the center of this phony novel. You will love the phony writing style as you go deeper into Holden's world of phony ideas. How much? I that might have added the phonies. <laughs> yeah, and the bitch-ass? I added some things. <laughs> I, I would definitely say that's not a stream-of-consciousness book. It's just, I mean, I guess if Holden Caulfield bitching is stream-of-consciousness, okay. But I would not count that e- is either. Well, because I'm like I'm sure that there's stories and novels that have like that might have like a section of that. Yeah, but I thought this yeah. is like novels. Like, yeah, like, whole, it would be like it's the whole thing. Because if you're going by this, then you can say Haruki Murakami and Stephen King have stream of consciousness yeah. novels because you know I'm sure they utilize that to a degree. Number nine, The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. You Plathonite? I always ask you this, and I don't think you are. No, not that. No. Ask for me to read. This is he's always posting shit from her. He is. Yeah. Uh, was she was she English? Is that why? Probably. Sylvia Plath. It's one of those names you can't really judge. Uh, first is she the one that stuck her head in the oven? Who was that? You got me. I'm gonna do a little research. There was a famous lady writer that stuck her head in the oven, and uh, I think she was a poet. I don't know why, but I know Sylvia Plath was a poet from like the fifties. Yeah, she died in 1963. She's from Boston. Ah. Interesting. But she died in London. That's the uh, connection. That's why he likes it. All right. I see you, Ash. I know what you're doing over there. I'm assuming she's the one that stuck her head in the oven. What a way to go. What a way. Especially like ovens back then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, it is a semi-autobiographical work by Sylvia Plath as the protagonist resembles the author herself. I love this name, Esther. <laughs> I always like that Esther has an H in it, so it's like Esther. <laughs> I always want to say it with the lisp, Esther. Esther Greenwood is the protagonist whose experiences, mental illness, depression, and reactions are open to interpretation by the readers. The Bell Jar came out in 1963. What women should be. What women should be doing. What the world expects from them and how they see these challenges are the central themes of this classic novel by Plath. I see by your yawning and tired look, you don't want to read that book. Well, I mean, that doesn't help, but that was from other stuff or from today, but yeah, that doesn't. Now, this one uh, has been on my list to read for years, and I think I'm actually going to bump it up when I do my Russian literature year because I was going to do like War and Peace, Anna Karenina and stuff. For, I think I'm going to do this one first because this seems to be one everyone enjoys. And that's The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. And if this was a stream of consciousness book, that's pretty interesting since it's, what, like 50 years before the postmodernist movement yeah, or something? Can a list of challenging novels be ever complete? Now it's a list of challenging novels. I thought it was just stream of consciousness. They didn't say anything about being challenging. 
Can a list of challenging novels be ever complete without putting Dostoevsky's name on it? Never! Again, more, <laughs> more screaming. Mm-hmm. The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor is a complex and very challenging novel that uses the stream of consciousness style to explore the thoughts and experiences of its characters. Four men, brothers, Dmitri, Ivan, Eloisha, Eloisha, Eloisha. It's a hard one. Eloisha. I'm going to say Eloisha. And <laughs> that wasn't the hard one. This one is. And Smirdikov, Smirdikov, Smirdikov. Dmitri, Ivan, Eloisha, and Smirdikov are of the century. <laughs> Are at the center of this novel along with their father. So when I read this, it's gonna be Ben, Jack, Joe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna change them. I could keep Ivan. Yeah, Yvonne. I keep Ivan and Dmitri. The other two, maybe not. They could be Alex and <laughs> Smyrny. So Fyodor Karamazov. Oh, he named after himself. Uh, the father is Fyodor Karamazov. Uh, the novel is known for its exploration of deep philosophical and spiritual concepts, including the existence of God and the nature of good and evil, like Dostoevsky always does. I feel like he start the the whoever wrote this was kind of lumping in some some novels that are just more challenging maybe. Yeah. Catcher in the Rye though that one that throws me for a little bit of a loop. I'm I saw a couple other lists that they were longer, so I'm just gonna go through and just name the oh, things. Say, well, what what throws you for more of a, more of a loop? Catcher in the Rye or uh, The Great Gatsby? The Catcher in the Rye because at least The Gatsby is written in such a way where I could see maybe I just overlooked it because it's written very mm-hmm. well. And maybe there were, like, you know, long thoughts that it just, you know, flowed very well. But uh, Catcher in the Rye, I don't remember any fucking thing. Like, just, I mean, if you count the character bitching a lot. Let's see where we're at, Spencer. 50. We'll do the 50. 50. I'm sure we'll, we'll tap out at five or something. Oh, cool. This is in, like, a really stupid form. <laughs> it's like a fucking Aww. blocks. Yeah, but it's four per block, so... Okay, so number one, I'm not even going to go by numbers, but this is starting at one through 50. Uh, Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. The Waves by Virginia Woolf. To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. And Steppenwolf, surprisingly. <laughs> I don't know if Steppenwolf is just because Virginia Woolf. They threw that in there. I'm pretty sure Steppenwolf isn't stream of consciousness. <laughs> Are we throwing epics in here? Uh, the Catcher in the Rye. It, maybe it is. Maybe I missed something. I guess it is. For anybody listening who's read The Catcher on the Rye recently, would you consider that stream of consciousness? I'm, I'm consciousness? Saying maybe us... you maybe you have to get a hold of uh, Ashley since you guys read it for an R- RIC forever ago. It'd be like, did you ever think of this whenever we were like whenever? Yeah, we I'll have to ask him. The Man Without Qualities by Robert Mush. That's a good name. Mush. Ulysses, The Sound and the Fury, The Notebooks of Multi Lords Brig by Maria Roke. I can't I can't read that. It's very hard. Uh, Notes from the Underground by Dostoevsky. Now, I read Notes from the Underground, and it was a rant. But again, if a guy ranting out loud, I don't know. Or maybe it was letters. But either way, that's not, you know, your thoughts. I mean, it is, but it's not. I don't. Where do we break up the stream of consciousness? Like, is it if it's just in your head, right? It can't be if you're writing it or speaking it, I would think. I don't know. I don't know. The Great Gatsby, On the Road, Jack Kerouac. That's one I saw come up a lot. I haven't read On the Road. I read Dharma Bums. And Dharma Bums, I don't... It was just from the viewpoint of the character, but I don't think it was stream of consciousness. Okay, here we go. Another controversial pick, and I'm just saying controversial because we both read this. The Stranger by Kamu. Really? That was stream of... Con- Did you get that from that? No. That was like... That wasn't even from the perspective of the character, if, right? If, if anything, I would say the plague has more just because it will go on 
Yeah. Like, philosophical, like, rants and spills of a certain character for pages. Like, you know what I mean? I am perplexed at this. Uh, In Search of Lost Time by Marcel Proust. Journey to the End of the Night by Celine. Dion? No, just Celine. Could be Dion. Uh, As I Lay Dying, William Faulkner. Hunger by Nut Hampson. <laughs> uh, the Naked Lunch. That is William Burroughs, I believe. I can't read the name, but I'm pretty sure William Burroughs did that. Uh, Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. Would you say that falls under it? I wouldn't think so. Sputnik Sweetheart by Mirakami. I would not say that counts. Okay, I know this one definitely. Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man by James Joyce. I just specifically yeah. said in the last one it wasn't Stream of Consciousness. Like, these are narratives. Yeah. I don't, maybe you have the person's thoughts, but I don't see their, you know, having their thoughts being considered stream of consciousness. At least not in that manner, you know, like the way we're talking. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, I, who did that? Ken Kessie? Is that his name? Can't read it. These are the worst pictures. Gravity Ra- Gravity's Rainbow by Pynchon. Absalon Absalon by William Faulkner. Hopscotch by Julio Cartazar. Malloy by Samuel Beckett. I've been wanting to read some Samuel Beckett, too. Uh, the Hour of the Star by Clarice Lispector? Uspector. Is that an L or not? A U. Either Lispector or Uspector. I like Uspector. Uspector. Wide Cigar- Sargasso Sea by Jean Rise. Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. The Fail by Albert Camus. Or, sorry, The Fall. I want to read, I don't think it's The Fall, because I read it in the back of the plague, something about Sisyphus, because the story of Sisyphus, he's the guy that had to the boulder up the mountain yeah. forever, I think. Uh, he has a, a novel on that, so maybe that'll oh. be our next Camus. Yeah. I like that we're going through like the Camus books, though, now, because it makes me feel smarter. And he doesn't have a whole bunch, right? He's got a lot. Oh, does he? I think so. I, like... I only see it, maybe I only just keep seeing the same handful. Yeah. Uh, the Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock by, and Other Observations by T.S. Eliot. Zeno's Conscious by Italio Calvino. No, that's wrong. Ita- I like Italio Calvino, but Italo, I can't read that. Sve- Svevo? Svevo? That is interesting that there's uh, more than one guy named Italio. I guess <laughs> that's a popular name, Italian name. Raise High the Roof Beam Carpenters and Seymour, an introduction by J.D. Salinger. Mem- Memoirs of Hadrian by Marguerite Eurcener. Everything is Illuminated by Saffron Foer. Less Than Zero by Brett Easton Ellis. Beloved by Toni Morrison. That's the one I thought, I, don't, I haven't read that yet, but I, that's the one I thought was going to be on that last list because I heard that comes up a lot. Uh, the History of Love by Nicole Krauss. Last Exit to Brooklyn by Hubert Selby Jr. And Tropic of Capricorn by Henry Miller. And there's another page I'm not going to. So we get the gist you of it. You get the idea. I don't think uh, some of the... I just, I guess my definition of stream of consciousness is uh, too narrow. Yeah. Maybe they just mean if it has a thought in the book. Mm. <laughs> if the character thinks at all, that counts. You know who I would... As you were like going through those and naming different... Like the artists and the, and the novels and stuff. I would like to see Neil Gaiman take a crack. He might have. That's True. the thing. We haven't read all of his work, so... I just with like his writing style and stuff, I think he would be able to 
do that in a way that would be, uh, you know, maybe a little bit easier and <laughs> enjoyable to read. I was trying to sneeze when you stopped talking, you fuck, but you kept talking. I kept on talking and talking and talking. Just get to the fucking point, Spencer. It's like a sneeze over here, and then I had to cut it out. I can't cut it out if it's mid-sentence, you <laughs> fucking jerk. Yeah, Neil Gaiman should write books. He's probably a good writer. Let's More books. I, I typed this in because I have chocolate on my thumb. <laughs> Don't ask why. It came up N space mm-hmm. W E space I L Gaiman. So mm-hmm. New Little Gaiman. It's not chocolate, folks. It's a poopy and it came not from my mm-hmm. butt. Somebody's butt. Poop comes from somebody's butt. That's a rule. <laughs> it's, it comes from butts. It comes from butts. <laughs> uh, Neil Gaiman stream of conscience. Let's see what we got. Jackie Callum. That mm. no, what, who who's running Google today? <laughs> who is running the Google? I don't think he's written anything unless you count remembering Mobius. More like streamer. I don't know. If I remember, I would also like to do an episode on absurdism. Okay. Absurd books I think would be interesting. But other than that, I think we're done. I think we covered it enough. Yeah. Got a reading, got some bitching, all that stuff. So anyway, folks, if you like this kind of episode, you don't have a choice. If you like it or not, we're still going to do it. Yeah. We do what we want. Uh, so you could follow us at DPW Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter slash X, and YouTube. If you want to, like, hey, I found out because Bryce told me that YouTube has a podcast section now. Oh, yeah? I did not know that. And apparently I always missed the big tab up top that says <laughs> podcast. We were not on the podcast tab. We just had videos. I found out how to convert every video to both video and the podcast. Nice. So I don't know if that's going to help or anything. But we're on the podcast of YouTube. now. Maybe you can listen to it with the phone off. I don't know. Uh, also, you can check out Spencer's OnlyFans at the Tulsa Tongue Twister Church. He'll be just giving you some sick rhymes, yo. Yep. Yep. Got any for us right now? Mm-hmm. Seashells, get, seashells by the seashore. They got they got to subscribe to the OnlyFans. Uh, uh, we, sometimes you give them a teaser. No. Nothing? No. Tink testy teaser. <laughs> uh, so anyway, thank you for listening, and we will check you next week. Maybe with the no, actually, we'll probably be doing the plague next week. So if you have want to read that before we cover it, you have one week to read Albert Camus' play, the plague. Uh, did I say Albert? No, I keep saying Albert. It's Albert. Yeah, I think it's we keep on saying Albert. We're fucking idiots. Who? <laughs> because I'm so focused on getting the last name right, yeah. not Camus. <laughs> like it's Camus, but then I completely said Albert every time. Just throw the T off, Albert. It's Al Cam. <laughs> Big Al Cammy. So we'll be doing that next week, and I think Bryce is going to join us for that because yeah. he read it as well. Uh, then uh, I don't know which one of you guys is going to finish first, but whoever finishes first can do the whole episode, obviously, to the side. 